We're going to study 1 Samuel chapter 12 this morning. It's on page 292 if you want to grab a Bible from underneath a chair in front of you. The good news with this chapter for me is I don't have to do an introduction. It's not that I couldn't think of one or had writer's block or anything like that, but most of this chapter is an introduction. So we're going to let Samuel, who's the speaker in this chapter, we're going to let his introduction be the introduction. Samuel has something in this chapter. He really wants Israel to hear and to understand and to believe. But before he can say what he wants them to know, there's some stuff he feels like he needs them to know. He needs to make sure they're in the right frame of mind to hear what they need to hear. So the first 19 verses, which we're going to read here in a second, are all Samuel's introduction. He just wants Israel to know, to grasp the seriousness of what they have done by asking for a king that would, the kind of king that would replace God. So first this morning, we're going to read and, and talk quickly through Samuel's introduction which is the first 19 verses of 1 Samuel 12. Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice in all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now here's the king walking before you, but I'm old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you, and I've walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and His anointed, Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. They said, you have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to him, the Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand, and they all agreed and said he is witness. Verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It's the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought uh, your fathers from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob or Israel went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And so the Lord sold them into the hand of Sisera, the captain of the army of Hazor, and sent the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We've sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. And then the Lord sent Jerubbaal and Badan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. But when you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. Although the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you've asked for. 
And behold, the Lord, the Lord has set over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and listen to His voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. Everything will be fine. Verse 15. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but if you rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you like it was against your fathers. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord and He will send thunder and rain and then you will know and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. And so Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for us, the servants, your servants, the, the, to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all our other sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Okay, that's just the introduction. And we'll go quickly through those things. Before Samuel's got something, he really wants these people to hear. But first he starts here, verse 1 through 5, Samuel says, y'all can trust me, right? Samuel puts himself on trial and says, hey, if there's anything, if I've defrauded anyone, stolen anything, if I've ever been dishonest, will, you, will somebody stand up and say so? And everybody agrees. No, 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 Samuel, you've, you've always been straight with us. Samuel says, even when I didn't want to do what I should have done, I didn't want to put this king over you, but... You wanted it, and God said I had to, so I, I've even done the hard things, right? And they say, yep, you're right. We can believe you, Samuel. Then Samuel sets out on a bit of a history lesson. You can trust me, right? And they say yes. All right, so when I get to the point that I, of the stuff that I really want you to know today, you should believe me. But first, how do we get to where we are? Samuel gives a very abridged, abbreviated history lesson of Israel. And he starts by reminding them that the real hero of Israel is God, is Yahweh, the God of Israel. It's not Abraham, it's not Isaac, it's not Jacob, it's not Moses, it's not Samuel. It was God who chose Moses, and Moses brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And then from there... Samuel, we're not even going to go through these examples, but Samuel just gives several different examples of the cycle of sin in Israel. The entire book of Judges, which has just happened previously to Samuel's day, is the history of this cycle. This is Israel's history. Here's the history of Israel. For a while, if you can read that, that says, Israel serves the Lord. Israel walks with God, worships God, both in the, the tabernacle and in their lives. And then Israel has a big problem. Samuel says it in verse 9. They forgot the Lord their God. They forgot that the best thing they could do with their lives is pursue God. And instead... They fall into this cycle. They fall into sin and idolatry because they're chasing things they think will be better 
than God. I know some things that'll be more fun than pursuing God, more profitable than doing what God wants, that will give me more popularity, more power, more whatever it is. It always leads to idolatry. Then God always allowed Israel to be oppressed or enslaved by a local people. And when Israel hit rock bottom, they would look around and go, oh, I know what our problem is. We forgot God. And so they cry out, okay, God, we get it. Will you please save us? God raises up a leader, usually called the ju a judge in this period of Israel's history. God uses that judge to kick out the enemies of Israel. And then Israel spends some time serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, thanking the Lord until, guess what happens? We start to lather, rinse, repeat. Right? We, we start the whole thing over again. This is Israel's history. And that's what Samuel wants them to understand. This is what has always happened in Israel. Until verse 12, when there's a difference in the cycle. In verse 12, Samuel's not talking about Israel's history anymore. He's talking about the current generation. And there's a difference in the cycle. In verse 12, Samuel says this to Israel, but when you guys, but when you guys were oppressed, when you saw Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us. Do you see the mistake they made in the cycle? Nahash would have never oppressed them if they hadn't fallen into sin and idolatry. Israel got enslaved. They got to rock bottom. And do you see what they said? We don't want God anymore to be our rescuer, our redeemer. We want a king we can see. We want a king who will fight our battles and deliver us. Israel fired God from their cycle. Same cycle as always, but they decided we can do better than the one who has always saved us and rescued us. This is Samuel's point thus far. Does that sound like a slap in the face to God to you? Because it should. Over and over and over, you cried out in Israel to God. God sent someone to save you. You got in the promised land. You fell into sin. You got oppressed. You cried out. God sent someone to save you over and over and over. And now, after all God has done for this people, you guys decide you don't want God anymore. So Samuel says, so okay, here's the king you asked for. It's Saul. He's tall and handsome, but he ain't God. And so then Samuel says in verse 14, hey, so here's my challenge to you. Stay out of this cycle. Okay, God has just delivered a victory through the king. 
Everybody, as we ended last time in our, in our sermon time, everybody was super fired up because Saul won a victory and Saul's pursuing God. And then here's what Samuel says, stay out of the cycle. You're right up here right now. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey him and don't rebel against him, everything is going to go great. But if you do not obey the Lord... If you fall back into this cycle again, next time you're enslaved, what are you going to do when you reach rock bottom and your king can't save you? What are you going to do then? Because if you do this, God's going to do this. And you're going to find yourself at rock bottom and you've fired God. Should the people of Israel believe Samuel? Should they believe him? Yes, that was verses 1 through 5, but he's going to give them some more evidence because he really wants them to believe what he's about to say. But they need to understand why they need what he's about to say. So Samuel says to everybody then, okay, it's wheat harvest time, right? And the people say, yeah. It's the dry season during wheat harvest, right? Yeah. It never rains during the dry season, right? Yeah. Just to make sure you believe me, I'm going to give you this sign. I'm going to ask God to bring up a huge thunderstorm right during the wheat harvest, and then you will know that what I say is true, and you will know that God really hates where you're at. God says, Aaron Samuel says, God, please bring the rain, and it happens. And then um, the people's response, I think the technical term is they freak out. All the people stood in awe and fear of the Lord and of Samuel in verse 19. And the people say to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants. They don't say our God. Why? Because they realize we are such a wreck. I'm not even sure we can call that God our God anymore. Please, Samuel, pray to your God for your servants. We'll do whatever you say. Please pray so that we will not die. For we have all of the other sins we've ever sinned, we have added a biggie now. This time, we've really done it. You see where Samuel's got the people. He wants them to understand you're probably already in the old cycle. But even if you're not, once you get at rock bottom again and you've rejected God, what are you going to do then? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever at some point plopped yourself down and beat yourself up and said, I can't believe I've done this again. How can I be so weak and so stupid? Have you ever thought to yourself, there is no way 
I can go back toward God after I've let him down for the millionth time. How could God possibly want me? Like me. Accept me. Because I'm here again. I kicked sand in his face. I decided I didn't need him. I had a better idea of what would make me happy and prosperous and all that other stuff. You've been there, right? What do we do when we're at rock bottom again in that old cycle of sin and failure? That's Samuel's main point for this morning. We're going to read verses 20 through 26. That's the heart of chapter 12. And it's about what a people should do, Israel or us, what we should do when we find ourselves at rock bottom again. Let's read it. This is 1 Samuel 12, 20 through 25. Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you will go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver, because they're futile. For the Lord will not abandon His people on account of His great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for Himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. So we've been through Samuel's big setup. He's got the people set up. He just wants them to understand they are at rock bottom and they fired God. And what are they going to do now? And he just made this supernatural thunderstorm come during the time period when it never rains. And God is so angry and I am so sinful. And what do I do now? And you know what step one is? When you find yourself at the bottom of this sin cycle again, Samuel says this, don't be afraid. Now, wait a second. If I'm Israel, if I was in that audience that day, I would, be, I would want to say, Samuel, you just talked for 19 verses about how terrible I am and about how I've really blown it this time. And I fired God from being my rescuer last time. And now you tell me, don't be afraid? We just watched a supernatural thunderstorm. It was very scary. Do not be afraid? Yeah, do not be afraid. Inside of us, when we fall into that old cycle of sin again, 
fear is maybe the fear of God, a misguided fear of God, sometimes is the first and most important thing that will keep us away from our actual hope, which is the God we're too scared of to approach again. Isn't that true? There's no way God could like me. There's no way God could take me back. How about maybe, you know, if I just ignore God, maybe he'll go away. If, if I leave him alone, maybe he'll leave me alone. Because if I get close to him, he's probably going to whack me somehow. Right? Samuel says, do, step one, when you find yourself at the bottom of that same old cycle of sin, is do not let your fear keep you from your hope. Your only hope is the God you have offended. And you may have offended him. But don't let your fear, your dread of him, keep you away from him. So, what do we do when we find ourselves at the bottom of that sin cycle again? First, don't be afraid. Go toward God, not away from God. Next, in verse 20. Step two, we find ourselves at the bottom of that cycle of sin, rock, bottom, again. Don't be afraid of God. Go toward God. But when you do, step two, confess. Look at what Samuel says in verse 20. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil. You hear that? Samuel doesn't say, hey, you don't have to be afraid of God. You didn't do anything all that bad. You really couldn't help it if you think about it. Everyone else was doing it. Let's celebrate how, uh, how unique and different you are. And you were just expressing those things. No! He says, you know, don't be afraid, but you better be willing to admit what you are doing is evil. That's agreeing with God about what we've done. We call that confession. So step one, when I'm at the bottom of that sin cycle, again, don't let my fear keep me away from God. Go toward God, but I better go to God with confession. That will keep me away from God too if I'm not ready to admit that what I'm doing is wrong. Come back next week, we'll talk more about this. King Saul will be a negative example of this. But going back to God requires that I'm willing to see my sin the way He sees it. And then, this is really only the only other step in the process here. You find yourself at the bottom of that sin cycle. Don't let your fear keep you away from God. Go toward God, but go with Him. Go toward Him with confession. And then, you have a decision to make. Are you going to choose to pursue forever or futility? Forever or futility. I love what Samuel says this. Do not be afraid. And he says this, you have done all this evil stuff. Yet. That's a great word. Yet. But. Even though you've done all that stuff yesterday, in your past, that doesn't mean you can't serve the Lord with all your heart 
starting right now. So you have a choice to make, Matt Maxwell. You have a choice to make. You're gonna, you can serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away from serving the Lord after useless idols that can do you no good and they can't rescue you because they're useless. You hear the choice? When I confess my sin as sin, God, here I am again. I hate this because I know you hate this. And I know I've been trying to get what you promised to give me. I've been trying to get that outside of you. All of our sin is us trying to get something God promises to give us if we will pursue him. Do you know that? Because every one of our sins is us trying to, maybe we're trying to get what we think is love. But if we do that outside of God's best for us, we won't actually find love. We may find lust. We may find acceptance somewhere. But God promises to give us real love. We may be trying to find significance. We may be trying to find uh, acceptance. We may be trying to find profit or success. Listen, God promises through Jesus Christ to give you all of those things and more of it than you can even imagine in His timing and in His way. So when I find myself at the bottom of that sin cycle again, I go toward God, I confess what I'm doing is sin, and then I decide, am I going to continue to chase futility or forever? Emptiness or fulfillment? Zero, nothing, which is what the word really means, this futility. I keep chasing this stuff. It keeps blowing up in my face. It doesn't deliver what I hope it will because it can't. So I choose. Right now, today, I'm, I'm going to stop pursuing futility. and I'm going to start again to pursue the God who holds forever. That's it. That's the, whole, that's the whole thing. Can you think of any objections that either you might have or someone else could have to this plan? How about this? It can't be that easy. Like seriously? I've been here a million times. I can confess my sin as sin realize what I've been chasing is futile, and turn toward the Lord and pursue Him right now with my whole heart. I may mess it up later, but for right now, I'm going to pursue Him with my whole heart, and He will just take me back. Yes. The answer is yes. Is that hard to believe? That's an us problem. Why would God take you back again? Samuel thought people might have that objection. So here's what he said next. 
In verse 22, he says, For the Lord will not abandon His people on account of His great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for Himself. When you find yourself at rock bottom again, and you're fighting with those doubts that say, I don't, he can't possibly, if God knows what I have done, if he is up there and he is real and he knows what I have done, he would never take me back. He would never accept me. Here's, here's what I want you to do with those thoughts. I want you to remind yourself of this. God taking you back has way less to do about you than it has to do about him. God never promised to take us back because we are so valuable and special and He can't live without us. God doesn't promise to take those of us back who really haven't done all that bad. I mean, I've never really killed anyone, so He'll probably take... No! God promises to take people who confess and repent. He promises to take us back because He promised to take us back. And God keeps His promises. It's way more. Your salvation is way more about God than it is about you. My eternal life is way more about God than it is about me. And it makes God look good when He takes me back when I've been bad. That's what He says. That's what Samuel says. The Lord will not abandon His people. Why? On account of his great name. God's got His reputation to think about. God keeps His promises. And God forgives sinners and restores sinful people who confess and repent to Himself because it makes God look awesome. Jesus said one time that the angels in heaven go crazy. Every time a sinner repents. So when you repent, here I am again. I confess to the Lord. I choose to go after Him with my whole heart and the angels go crazy. Why? Because you're now back on the team and they were so worried about you? No. Because the holy angels, their cousins who are now demons, they got kicked out of heaven for one sin, one time, and there's no going back. And that's correct and that's right. That's what the holiness of God ought to look like. And when the angels see someone like me and someone like you repent, ask for forgiveness, pursue God, and He washes us white as snow, they lose their minds. Because God can take what is unholy and make it holy. And it's the miracle of miracles when it comes to human beings. So God will take you back not because you are awesome, but because He is. Not because you are good, but because He is. Not because you are worthy, but because He is. And He promised He will. But don't you think God would some, at some point get to the point well, man, he is certainly tired of this. I don't think I'm taking her back again. You think ever, God ever gets to that point? 
The reason we're tempted to think God gets to that point is because you know who does get to that point with people? Us. Look at what Samuel says next. Samuel takes a break from the story and kind of says this. Moreover, as for me, remember they asked Samuel, will you pray for us? So Samuel says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against God by ceasing to pray for you sinful lunkheads. No, I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Samuel says, I am not going to give up on people God won't give up on. Is anyone else convicted by that one? Or is that just me? Samuel says, God won't quit you, so I'm not going to quit you. Now, he will instruct them in the good and the right way, which means I'm never going to stop telling you your sin is sinny. I'm never going to make excuses for your sin because it's not good, it's not right. I'm never going to give up on people that God won't give up on. Maybe maybe we shouldn't either. And Samuel gives a summary. It's just only, only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. And consider, think about, chew on the great things He has done for you. You know why this is important? So fear the Lord, serve Him, walk with Him, and make sure to consider, to chew on, to think about the great things He has done for you. Do you know why that's important? The next time you are at the bottom of that sin-failure cycle? Because I consider God has not let me down what He promises to give, and I compare that to what my sin has done with me and for me to get me where I am right now. Consider, remember the good God has done. It helps motivate us to continue walking with the one who will actually deliver on what he promises. Then Samuel leaves the people with one word of warning. He says, but if you don't do steps one, two, and three, both you and your king will be swept away. Now, in one sense, this applies directly to us, and in another sense, it doesn't. First, any time we are pursuing that which God doesn't want us to pursue, to try and get what God promises to give us only later, that's always idolatry, right? We may not bow down to tiny little statues or anything like that, but we are, we are chasing after the God of money, love, whatever. The same thing the ancient people always pursued. It's always idolatry. If that remains my king, this promise will be true for me. Eventually, you and your king will be swept away. Because that king can't save, can't rescue. You're chasing futility. On the other hand, though, 
This applied directly to Israel like this. God will kick your king up out of here. And eventually God would do that. As Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, here's here's where we kind of have to get out of this covenant and into the one we're going to celebrate in just a minute. See, we are in a different covenant. We have a king who can't be swept away. See, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if he is your king, you have a king that will never be swept away. But he was on one day. See, God allowed Jesus Christ to be swept away because we acted wickedly. If you still act wickedly, your king will be swept away. That happened outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on a cross. But he was buried, died for us because of our sins, was swept away, buried in the grave. He defeated our sin and rose again. And now he will never, ever be swept away. And, And part of the good news of the gospel is now he holds us. Samuel had to keep telling Israel, you better not get in that cycle again. Or someday you and your earthly king will be swept away. You have a bit of a different promise. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He holds you and he can't be swept away. So you know what that means about you and me? If he's holding us, we can't be swept away. That's another thing that motivates us. To stay in this process every time we fall into sin every day. I don't let my fear keep me away from my hope. I go to God with confession. I choose to pursue Him instead of the futility that got me to this point where I'm at. And then I have the confidence that I am being held by a King who will never be swept away. Sounds easy. Which brings me to my last objection. It can't be that easy, right? You ever thought that? It can't be that easy. I always give this answer to that objection. Easy for whom? Because this wasn't easy. It's just that it's a gift. It wasn't easy. It's just we didn't have to do it. It was incredibly difficult and painful and costly. It's just that we didn't have to pay it. Which is why the first Sunday of every month, we always do what we're going to do this morning. We remember the day our king was swept away. How he was rejected by God, because He became our sin. And it helps us look forward to that day we will meet Him, because in the meantime, He is holding us. And He will never be swept away, and we are in Christ. And He is the guarantee we won't be swept away, even though for the millionth time I might find myself at rock bottom 
again. They don't call this good news for nothing. Why don't you pray with me while the guys come forward and we'll share the bread. Father God, um, I know all of us here um, have found ourselves at rock bottom. That, that cycle of failure where we just are beating ourselves up. Why am I here again? And we feel so lousy. God, thank you that we don't have to put ourselves in spiritual timeout. We don't have to punish ourselves. We don't have to do penance. None of that stuff because Jesus has already suffered for the sins we have sinned. But God, pursuing you is just is better than our sin. Thank you that our king cannot get swept away. He was swept away once and for all. And God, during the time when the bread comes around, will you listen to us while we do what you uh, taught us to do in this passage in 1 Samuel today? Maybe there's some of us here who have not come to you out of fear for a long time with our sin. So, so as we confess, thank you that our sins have been paid for. Paid for by the sacrifice of the Lamb of God symbolized by the bread that we will hold. We love you, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.